Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Haggai chapter 2. We're going to start off in chapter 2. We've already covered the first chapter. I'll kind of summarize a little bit later. But we're going to be looking at Haggai chapter 2. And as you're turning to that passage, I want to reference once again to our church app. And on that app, we have uh, the notes there so you can follow along. And it's also an opportunity for you to save it and send it to yourself. And so you can kind of have a long collection of just uh, sermon notes. You could use that later. I know some of you are not going to be in Hong Kong forever. Some of you will be placed in different places around the world. It's a great opportunity if some of you are called to lead a Bible study or maybe to help out in some churches that you can use some of these notes as well because they're straight out of the Bible, so it's not copyrighted, I guess, not until eternity, I guess. But you could just use that anytime. So uh, let me just go ahead and start off as we're kind of thinking about chapter 2, and we're going to kind of talk about this little shift on the building of the whole house of God. And the question I have for you as we're starting off is, I'm wondering how many of you are future-oriented or don't mind taking risk. I don't know if that's you, but I know for a lot of us, that is not a very comfortable thought to think about our future, to think about some of the things that are involved in our future, because there's a lot of unknowns. There are a lot of risks that are involved. There are things that we have to step out of our comfort zone in so that we can actually experience new things and the things that God has planned for us. And If you're the person that enjoys uh, stepping out or maybe future-oriented things, I could probably guess that you are the person that is always on top of the newest gadgets. You are the one who's always discovering new things, new restaurants, uh, just new places to visit. And so you're the go-to person that everyone asks. They go, hey, what's a good place to eat? Or, you know, did you hear about this? And then they will ask you and you will have this whole research done on it and then there's some of us who still don't you don't know what instagram is uh some of us are still lost in some of the technological advances and so some of us just enjoy being where we are and so i was thinking about this and i realized those of us who are a little bit slow to catch on there's advantages of that you save a lot of money, uh, you let other people fail first, and then you could go in when it's safe. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of advantages. But I want to just challenge us to think about what would it be like if you were on the cutting edge of technology, or you were that innovative person, or if anything, you are an early adopter, that you adopt things early on. And I think there's something about innovation that inspires us And it helps us to look at things differently and to see change of the status quo and not being happy with where we are, that we want to look ahead. So just recently, I was just checking out this one website, and uh, I thought it was really funny because in this website, they had all these crazy ways that people work around things. And and when I look at them, they are geniuses. They are like innovative And I was thinking, I could even do that. And it began to inspire me. So if you look at this picture in front of you, you will notice there's uh, sandals on top of these plastic chairs, as many of you know. This might be in uh, one of my favorite countries in the world, uh, Indonesia. But uh, as you can tell, 
there's uh, two st stools or chairs with sandals on it. But if you look very carefully, you'll notice that it's wrapped around, the sandals wrapped around in that stool. So the purpose for this, especially when it's flooding and it's raining, like in Jakarta, this is what you can do. And I said, phenomenal. This is like amazing. This guy is a genius. Here's the next picture, another picture that you'll notice here. And I was thinking, what is he doing? And I realized that this guy is on a bus and he put the sticky thing on the window and he also has that little hook, the famous hook that some of you have. And so he could carry his bag there and he's watching probably Korean drama. I I'm pretty sure about that. Crazy. Here's another one. We're going to look through these. Uh, I, I thought this was genius. How many of you have been in a car and the light is too bright? You can't really see. But they, they made this hat or they discovered, probably pulled it out, pulled it out of um, uh, just a doll or something like that. And I'm like, wow, this is it's simple, but yet innovative and a genius. Here's another one. I don't know if you could tell if you look very closely. Uh, this barber is famous now because he has made this thing that, I don't even know what you call it, that little bib thing that you put around when you get a haircut. He made it so that it's see-through so you can still use your phone. Phenomenal. This, he should patent this. This is what we're talking about, genius level, innovative, early adopters. Here's another one. And I was thinking, this is a broomstick that comes off. And so if you know, ever go shopping, men, you know, if you go shopping with your future girlfriend, your wife, uh, you have to carry all these bags. But look at this. The, the, to me, this is next level right here. Just have to hold it once and you can carry all the bags. Here's another one that you'll notice. And I was thinking, what are they doing? But I'm like, wow. It's very simple. A clothesline, a Walmart bag. Those of you who don't know what that is, it's the store with that big store with a lot of stuff in there. And that's how you put your shoes so you can dry it. And I was thinking, ingenious, all right? Here's another one. I thought this was the best. I personally like things that are very hot, even to the point that it's burning my tongue. I like that, because I don't like cold stuff. But some of you cannot eat unless it's very like warm or colder. And so I was thinking about this. I'm like, this guy actually made this. You can see there's a battery there, and he kind of made this. I'm like, this is... a innovative. This is a genius. Here's another one. And I'm like, what is that? I don't know if some of you guys seen it. Some of you are probably, oh, I have that at home. But uh, I thought that was very interesting. Why do you need two utensils when you have two for one? So you have the fork and then you have the spoon. And I think there's a couple more here. Next one. Is that the last one? Okay. As you're looking at this, <laughs> this idea of being innovative, this idea of being future-minded or looking ahead, I think it's something that all of us need to develop. Why? Because I believe that God is not only past-oriented, but also present-oriented, but He's also future-oriented when you look throughout Scripture. And therefore, when you think about who God is, and as we think about our Christian walk, it's not just about remembering and reflecting in the past, which is important. But it's also about the present, isn't it? To be able to live our lives for Jesus Christ. But one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith is that we also look ahead to our union with Christ forever. Uh, the heaven that we talk about. And to be able to experience just the renewal and the things that God is doing in terms of in this city and around the world. Restoring, redeeming. These are all 
things in the future that he's doing and working in our lives. And I think we need to understand that we need to be a part of what God is doing, not just in the present, but also in the future. So that means we need to have more people who are more future-minded. Now, those of you who might not know, back in 1957, uh, there was a study that was led by George Beale and also Joel Bolton, uh, Bolin. And these two researchers, what they did was they were doing a study of diffusion of farm practices. And so in this study, what they were trying to focus in on, they wanted to see the purchasing patterns of farmers, especially with this idea of hybrid corn seeds. Because it was a new idea back in 1957. So there were a lot of farmers who didn't really believe in it. They weren't sure about it. But they wanted to see the purchasing pattern. Who are those people who actually will purchase some of these hybrid seeds for corn? And what they found out, and many of you might not know, because now it's an obvious thing that we talk about this graph. And I want you to look at this graph right now. This graph you'll see is used by in technology, innovation, ideation, any of those things. But it came out of this study in 1957. And so what they found out was that there are innovators. That's only about 2.5% of the people in the world. There are the early adopters. There are about 13.5% of the world. And then there's early majority. So that's the most of the people. They are about 34 people who kind of follow the early adopters and they kind of say, hey, this is sound really interesting, so I'm going to join in. And then you get the uh, later majority, those people who are always kind of slowly coming out, and finally you motivate them to come. And that's 34, because there's a lot of those people, even in our church. And then we have the laggards, those people who are so slow. It's kind of like in that movie, uh, the, uh, the Slugger. Or is it the, the Sloth? <laughs> sloth, Slugger. <laughs> Praise God, I can't wait until we go all full live. Anyway, and then it's, it's really slow. These are the laggers, and you are the one that are still using cell phones that you can't even swipe on. You're still using different things. You're, for you, it's all about saving, and you just don't care. And so you just kind of slowly come on all the way at the end because you can't use your phone anymore because you can't do dial-up anymore. Some of you don't even know what that is, so don't worry about it. And so some of us are at this tail end. Now, why is this important? I want to share with you what they discovered on this study back in 1957. And I thought this was very telling and very interesting. They found out that the innovators, they had larger farms, they were more, uh, more educated, more prosperous, and more risk-oriented. Now, I'm not saying that there's a direct correlation or, is, or even a causation, but I think it's something to think about here because as they're doing this research, what they're finding out are the innovators are the ones that had the bigger farms, so they're willing to take more risk, and they were more educated, and they were more prosperous. It just seems like when you have a prosperity mindset rather than a, a scarcity mindset, you're more willing to take risk. You're more willing to step out in faith. You're more willing to trust in God. Whatever the case, I'm, I'm trying to apply this into our Christian life. The early adopters, they also found that they were younger. They were more educated. They tended to be community leaders, and they were less prosperous. I thought that was interesting. So there were probably those who are like the go-getters who wanted to try new things because they want to be more prosperous in the future. 
So the early adopters, those who are the movers and shakers, if you will, because the innovators are not necessarily the movers and shakers. They need people of following to get the momentum building. So these early adopters are very, very important to any movement. So they're younger, more educated, they tend to be community leaders and less prosperous. Now there are the early majority, which I have said that it's majority of us. These people are more conservative but open to new ideas. They're active in community and influence to their neighbors. So they have relationships. So these are the early majority. So if you think about a church context or even in your life group context, if these people are on board to the vision and mission, you're going to be able to move forward quickly. And then the late majority, I thought this was interesting, and that makes up close to about 90-some percent of everybody. So we're talking about innovators, the early adopters, the early majority, and then you include their late majority. So that's majority of the people. You will notice that they are older, less educated, fairly conservative, and less socially active. This is the research that they found out. And I thought it was fascinating because I'm like, wow, that's exactly what I see sometimes in the churches. And I'm not saying conservatism is wrong. I think it's great. We've got to be conservative in terms of what the Bible says and some of the doctrines of the faith. We don't want to go way out there, but we need to keep the, the orthodoxy of Scripture and the doctrines that we believe that has been consistent all throughout time. But I thought it was funny that the late majority really describes oftentimes in the church some of the older people who don't like change. They like to how things are. They're comfortable. They're secure. And that's why they don't like things that ruffle up their life. And then you get the laggards. That sloth or that sluggard. And you, what you will notice is that they're very conservative. And it's not so much your belief but conservative in terms of like they don't like to take any risk. They always have a pattern. They always eat the same thing. They always leave the house at the same time. And once again, there's nothing wrong with our schedule. But we're talking about they really love control. They had small farms and they had small capital in terms of money. And they are the oldest and the least educated. I thought it was phenomenal as I was reading up on the study. Because I think this is relevant for us on what we're going to be talking about today. That when you put this study in the context of our church, you'll see all of these guys. I'm thankful for some of the people in our church who are very innovative. They're coming up with new things. And it, some of us are more early adopters. Let me give you an example. We have a church-wide conference. And so the early adopters, they all sign up in the pre-registration or like the early registration. Those are the early adopters. They're like, I have nothing else to do. I need a spiritual renewal. I want to hear about the Father's heart. So they sign up. And then you get those who are like kind of not only the early adopters, but the late majority. So they're like, oh my God, there's only one more day before the early registration. It's going to be so much more. So they're like, I want to go. And so they sign up. Then you get the late majority who then says, you know what, I'm gonna, what when is the deadline again? Oh, midnight? I'm going to sign up at 11.58. And not only that, but they have to be kind of motivated by some other people, outside forces. And then you get the laggards. 
who missed the deadline. And they're like, what happened? I heard some great things happen. Everyone shared a testimony. They go, oh, what happened? That's just one example. There's so many other contexts in our church that you could apply the study. And I think this is the reason why God not only made us all different, but we need each other. Because it's so easy to settle for the status quo and be comfortable with where we are. I know for many of us, we want to get back to in-person, but I'm wondering if there's new things that God wants us to do. I know that some of us are already in our mindset that this is kind of like our vision, but what if God is kind of tweaking it and moving us in a different way that we haven't even thought about post-COVID-19? So there are so many things in our lives, not only in church, but in your personal life, with your family, at the workplace. There are so many things going on in our lives. You could actually apply this. And this is my hope and prayer, that we will have a lot of people, because we believe in this great God, that we believe in his faithfulness, that we believe that he's good, that he has a good future for us because we are in Christ, that we will take some risk, that we will step out of our comfort zone, that we will not settle for the status quo, that we will look up outside of ourselves and say, who are some people who have yet to experience Jesus Christ? Who are some people in my workplace or in my schools who haven't really experienced community? Who are some people that really need to experience the gospel in a tangible way because they will never step inside the four walls of the church? How do we innovate and do things so we can broadcast things to reach more people? I mean, these are the kind of things that we have to think about, especially as we're thinking about a future-oriented mindset. And so as we continue in this study in the book of Haggai, we're going to see that sometimes our mindset that is fixed either in the past or maybe just only the here and now will hinder us from moving forward to the things that God has for us. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that God will lead us into our future as we trust him in this great adventure, in this adventure that God has given to us, that he will lead us into our future as we trust him in the adventure. I'm going to pause here and give you about six minutes to get into huddle groups. Once again, I want to reestablish the purpose and the reason why we do this. We want you to get into huddle groups because instead of just listening, we're using all your senses to be able to learn. Not only that, but we want you to build community and to build up one another. Uh, we do this when we're here live, when you can fellowship afterwards, but we don't have that. So we want you to be able to be connected. Also, many of you who are staying home, as you know, there's been a higher increase of loneliness and isolation. The mental health issue has going, is going skyrocketing this past year. And also, there are many people who are struggling because they are just isolated. And so we want you to connect. And third and last thing is that as you begin to connect with one another, we're hoping that you will be able to minister to one another. And so that's why we're having this. So please don't just take this as something that we just do, but see it as a ministry, a ministry mindset. And so be able to use this to minister to one another as you're getting ministered unto. And I pray the connections will be made, you'll learn, and then also processing 
everything that we're talking about. So six minutes, here are the two questions that we want you to um, talk about. The first one is this. Which group would you place yourself under? Uh, innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, or laggers? And why do you think this is the case? The next question is what is it about the future that frightens people and makes them want to settle for the status quo? All right, so go ahead and talk about those two questions and then we'll have you come back after six minutes. All right, welcome back. Hopefully you had a good opportunity to share with one another. Uh, I know, I know I can't see, but how many of you feel like you are at least in the innovative or early adopter? Maybe those of you who are here, raise your hand. Mm-hmm. I think we need to do a, do a seminar on uh, self-awareness, all right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, some of these guys, I would definitely say, are early adopters. And I don't even know if you want to mention that you're a laggard, but all I can say to you is, as we're talking about how God will lead us into the future, that we have to trust in Him in this adventure, it's going to really require us to not just look at and settle for the here and now. we got to look ahead, and we'll see this from this passage in Haggai chapter 2. So as we talk about this, I want to highlight a couple things, and I hope you can see it as we look into this verse by verse. The first point that I want to make is this, that we have to have a future mindset. Everyone say future mindset that we got to have this future mindset. I think for many of us, let's just be honest here. We love to hold on to the past, whether it's great memories. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with reflecting and remembering and going back. Or some of us who have been hurt, and we're still holding on to that, playing the victim. But wherever you are, a lot of us, we love just holding on to the things of the past, whether it's for security whether it's so that we can have the sense of control. There are a lot of reasons why many of us would rather be where we are than moving forward. But in order to grow personally, your personal growth, in order to grow even as an organization or even just grow in any context, your friendship, whatever it may be, you have to always have the future in mind. This will cause us to be more proactive in the things that we do. This will cause us to not only say, hey, this is great, but there's more that God has for us and so that we can step out now in faith. I think this is the reason why having a future mindset is so important. Think about some of the people who are way ahead of their time. Think about Albert Einstein and the things that he was able to discover and things that we are still implementing in the sciences even today. Think about people like Isaac Newton, way before his time, some of the things that he discovered. And Steve Jobs, I mean, there's not a single person in this world, well, I shouldn't say that, but there are some people who don't have it. But if you think about the majority of the people in this world, they have a, a phone where they're listening to music, watching things. That's be, all because of his vision for the future and what it was going to look like. Right now, currently, think about Elon Musk and some of these other innovators and other people who are envisioning a future that I can't even imagine, living on Mars and all these other things. The reason why these people are always future-oriented is because they want to make an impact in this world, and they want to make the world a better place. They want to see change. They like what the things are going on right now, but they believe that there's more. 
And I'm wondering what would happen if every single one of us would really have this future mindset when it comes to our spiritual lives. What would happen if you had this future mindset when it comes to your life group or our church and where we will be? Because we're hitting our six-year anniversary coming September of this year. But what would it be like as you think about our 10th year anniversary, our 15th year anniversary? Where would you like to see our church? What are some of the things that you envision our church doing in making an impact in all the university's camp, uh, university campuses, in this city, in your workplaces, and even beyond in this side of the world? This is why it is imperative that every single one of us have this future mindset as we grow in our relationship with God and as we try to follow Him and obey Him. So here's the thing that I want you to notice. As we talk about this future mindset, there, there are a couple things you're going to have to understand, especially it comes out from this passage. First of all, you need a proper expectation. A proper expectation. Now, as many of you know, sometimes if you have a very low expectation, that's going to hinder your future mindset. Sometimes when you have an overestimation that seems so unrealistic, then it could get very discouraging. Proper doesn't mean just controlling, but I believe proper expectation is seeing God, trusting in Him that He can do it, but we cannot. Let's go ahead and read. Hopefully you've turned to Haggai chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first three verses. Listen to what it says in Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Let's pause here and look at this. In verse 1 and 2, you will notice that it says it's the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, and so why is that important? Because what you will see in from chapter 1 and now this date that is given is almost a month that has passed by since they were heard the message from God to rebuild God's house and they started laboring. So think about it for a moment. It's close to a month where they're kind of getting into building or rebuilding God's house. And it's interesting that the message, this is now the second message. The first message I will share a little bit later, but you know about how God rebuked the people. But this is now the second message that God speaks to the prophet Haggai, and the word of the Lord comes. And he speaks to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the remnant. Remnant are those people who came back from the exile. It might be strange that God turns to these three groups of people, and he asks them three questions. Who is left among you? Who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? You know, when you read this, you're like, what is he trying to say? What is this message? Let me read to you from a different translation to give us a little bit more insight, and I'll talk more specifically about this. The voice translation says this. Are any of you still living who saw how glorious my first house was before it was destroyed more than 60 years ago? How does this current one look to you now? In comparison to the first, does this one look like nothing? Of course it does. 
So pretty much what God is saying through the prophet Haggai is, oh, can I see a raise of hand? How many of you were there when we first built the temple? They're like, uh, some people were raising their hands. Now, when you look at this temple that we're trying to rebuild and the temple that you remember, how, how good is it? And they're like, uh, it's not as good. It's not as big. It's not as glorious. And the question is, what is God trying to do? Why is he asking these questions? Because when you look at the whole context, you will notice that he's trying to address some of those people who are in their minds and in their hearts comparing the first temple to the second temple. The first temple was built by Solomon. If you study that in scripture, it was incredible. It was big. It was filled with all these ornaments, silver and gold and different materials from around the world was brought in. It was a phenomenal sight. And here as they come back, 60, 70 years of all the rubble around them, they're trying to excavate or take out all these rubble and then they are now trying to rebuild the foundation. It's only one month into this. And so by God asking those people who were there 60 some years ago when they saw the temple of God, the first one, and now looking at this one, of course, people will be like, yeah, it's not that great. So when you think about this, you're like, who are these people? Well, almost 100%, these people were old. Because <laughs> the temple was destroyed about 60, 70 years prior, so they must have been now in their 80s or 90s even. It's really fascinating, as some of you remember when I gave an introduction to this book. I have said that the book of Ezra is a companion book. You could look at what happens uh, in the book of Haz uh, Haggai by looking at the book of Ezra. So here they are rebuilding this temple, this house of the Lord, and they laid the foundation. And watch what Ezra says, because he's describing what was happening right here in Haggai chapter 2. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 11b and through verse 13, I'm going to read it from the ESV. Listen to what it says. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Let me just pause here. So the foundation was being laid for this rebuilding of God's house. So everyone was ecstatic. But look at verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and the heads of father's houses Old men who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the people, sound of the people's weeping. Let me read that again. Let me uh, distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. What I'm trying to help you to understand is that there were some people who were there when the first temple was built. And while the younger generation who never seen that temple, they were rejoicing that the temple of God is being rebuilt. That there were some older people who started thinking about the past and they were weeping because it wasn't in its full glory. How can one generation weep and another generation rejoice? I think because so often we get so locked into the past that when we don't see the things now in the present, 
or even into the future, it could cause a lot of anguish in our hearts. And I see this all the time, where people are reminiscing, and please, once again, there's nothing with reminiscing, there's nothing about remembering. But what I want to point out is this, the question that we older people fail to ask is, what is the new thing that God is doing? If we're constantly living in the past, we're not going to be able to move into our future. So while the past was good, while the past, the way we did certain things, the way we were trying to do outreach, the way we were trying to love on people, it was good for that time. But times are changing. The generations are changing. And the question is, what is it that God is doing that is new in our generation? That's why when you think about the story and put it in context, this must have been so discouraging for the young generation. Because here they are, excited that they're actually rebuilding the temple of God, the house of God. They've never seen the first one, but they're excited because they obeyed God. But the older generation is weeping. Can you imagine? They're like, yeah. And then you see all the grandpas, ah. they're like, you know, what's going on? And I'm sure they probably said, well, this stinks. It's not a really big house. It's a good, small one. You should have seen the other one. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think this is the problem with comparison, which sometimes hinders us from discerning what it is that God is doing right now. What does he want us to do in the future? If our church, we don't change, I'm telling you right now, we are going to be extinct. If we're not constantly listening to God and moving forward and what is it that you're doing, maybe the things that we were so comfortable with, that's not what he wants us to do anymore. Maybe some of those things that we call it the sacred cows, maybe God is saying, that's not what I want you to do. And that's why we need to keep on raising up the younger generation, the next generation. And I praise God for the older generation. I praise God for some of you who have been with our church from the beginning. Some of you have been with us all the way back in Michigan. Praise God. But I hope and pray that some of you are humble enough that you might actually be, and I might actually be the cause of hindrance for us to move into the future. Because you have your set ways. You have your set way of doing things and the way, set way of thinking things. I know I do. Until God proves me wrong, then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe he wants us to do this. No. I remember this lesson when I was back in college. Some of you guys know I was part of a gospel band, and we traveled around the United States to minister, worship. Man, we were doing skits. I did a mean skit. You know, there was a good skit that we did. Uh, it was called The Champion. So I, one face, one part of my face, I painted white to make it look like saints and, you know, good people and the other side I've painted red for Satan and stuff so every time <laughs> if I did it now everyone would laugh and never come to church okay back then back then it was really good but not now and we were doing some incredible things by God's grace it wasn't us I all I can say is that God used us powerfully that's why I have such a passion for worship because I know what it can do and how it could transform people's lives that's why I have a passion for the word because I know what it can do and transform lives. And so we were ministering to thousands of people on a given year because we were going from retreat after retreat, from revival meeting to revival meeting. We saw people from all different 
backgrounds coming to know Jesus Christ. So, so that was my experience. But what happened was that a lot of my older brothers and sister and also some of the people who are my peers, they all graduated and they started moving on. Many of them went on to seminary, but uh, the pastor there asked me if I could stick around for one year. And I, I just needed to take, I think it was about 18 credit hours, 18, 19 credit hours. So I thought I could graduate. But then he was encouraging me, can you stick around? Because we just started the church and the band situation, all the stuff. And, I'm, I, and as I prayed, I really felt that, because back then I knew that I was going to be a pastor. So I'm like, this is a great opportunity to learn, to grow. So I decided to stick around. So I split up the class, uh, like nine each uh, semester. And then I had to take at least 12 to be a full-time student. So I took like bowling, Japanese tea ceremony, you know, those real classes that will transform your life, you know? <laughs> and so I always tell people my actual major was church and all this stuff was just to graduate. So that was my last year. And as I was leading this worship team, I, I was in charge of leading the whole team. We, we had to bring up some of these younger guys. Because I knew that after this year that I was going to move on and go to seminary. So I'm like, man, we've got to raise up some of these younger guys. But the thing was that as I was looking at these younger guys, I just knew that they were a different generation. They did not respond the same way that I responded to from the older generation. It was just different. So all the lessons, all the things that were passed down to me, which I believed in, which I thought it was great, it changed my life, is I was trying to do the same thing to this generation. It just didn't work. They weren't responding the same way. I'm like, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your heart? You know, I was just like, what's going on? And I just couldn't figure it out. So I thought maybe we'll just spend more time, like hang out. Maybe we'll just pray more. So we will have like a couple hour prayer meetings all night and just like ah, crying out to the Lord and doing all this stuff. Nothing. And I'm just like, something is not right. So I actually decided to take, to, take it to the Lord in prayer. And just in my personal time, I was like, God, what is going on? Like, Am I a bad leader? What's happening? And that's when I really got this kind of this inspiration or insight that God was saying, this is a new generation. And the old things that you used to do, it's not going to work. To actually think about doing something different. Man, I remember coming out of that prayer, just that personal time, excited because I realized it is a new generation. These guys were like in uh, junior high, you know, when we were like just starting off college. So I was just like, something is different. And so as I was kind of talking with uh, the pastor there and some other leaders, uh, you know what they said? I mean, I, I love them to death. I, I know where their heart is at. But because this was something that God spoke to me about, I was just trying to share. But they said, no, you guys are not praying enough. You guys are not sacrificing enough. You're not doing this enough. And so that literally discouraged me. And in that moment, I just thought to myself, I knew that God wanted me to do something different because it's a different generation. But then here are these voices from those who are above me, and I need to submit it to authority. And I was thinking, okay, so I just decided this is my last year. I'm just going to do the best that I can. I'm not going to try to uproot everything and change everything, and then I can't be there for the fall up. So I, what did I do? I told these guys, you need to pray more. You need to do this more. And... It was really sad. I mean, this is just more of a humble confession. In that moment, because I disobeyed God, I did not follow through on what he was speaking to me about. That was probably one of the hardest years in trying to lead this band. And after I graduated and left, and some of these guys, younger guys, actually had to step up. One year after I left, 
maybe more like a year and a half, almost two years, they discontinued the band. And I remember for a moment I was struggling, thinking, of, man, I had an opportunity not to settle for the status quo. I had an opportunity to guide this and lead this in a whole different direction. And I heard, I knew I heard from the voice of God that he said this is a new generation and I'm doing something new. I should have obeyed. And it's a lesson that I took. And I could make all the excuses. Well, I didn't have the full authority. You know, if I was the pastor of that church, I would have made some changes. So many of us are like, yeah, if I was the CEO, if I was the boss, if I was the life group leader, they don't even know what they're doing. I would do, you know, that kind of mind- mindset. But I should have obeyed. And from that moment on, I made a commitment. When God speaks to me, even though things are uncomfortable, I'm willing to take some risk, step out in faith, because it's God who's speaking. I'm wondering if you're trusting in God for the new thing that he's doing in your life. Do you have this proper expectation that God is with you, that he's the one who's leading you, not yourself? That's how you have a future mindset because you're listening to God. You're looking ahead. What is he doing? How do I obey him? Another thing that you will notice is not only the uh, proper expectation, but you see this proper encouragement that comes from God. I love this. Look at verse 4 and 5. So in the midst of rejoicing, saying, wow, we're rebuilding God's temple, and in the midst of all the weeping, as God now kind of rebukes these older people, what does he do? He encourages this younger generation. Listen to what it says, starting from verse 4 and 5. It says this, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. I love that. It's interesting that when you read these two verses, verses 4 and 5, and he says, fear not, what you will notice is that God tells each person to be strong. He doesn't say, come, come together, guys. And he says, be strong. He literally goes to these three people, or two, two individual people and one group of people, because these are the same group of people that God spoke the first message. And what does he do? He repeats it three times. Be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, you remnant. The Amplified Version says, but now be courageous. The contemporary English version says, but cheer up, as they were probably discouraged. Because some of these old people were saying, it's not as good as the first one. And that's why this is the goodness of God, that he actually speaks to people individually. Listen to me carefully. Some of you are in different situations in your life, whether you are stuck whether you feel like you don't know what to do, you're at a crossroad in your life, God is speaking to you and he says, be strong, that he is with you. These are the times when you need to hear the proper encouragement from God. So many of us want to hear this encouragement from other people and they don't know what you're going through. Even if you share, they won't fully understand, but God does. This is why you need to spend time with him, to pray to him, to express, pour out your heart to him and let him reassure you that be strong, And fear not, 
for I am with you. What does he tell the people as well, along with being strong? He says to work. Be faithful in the things that I've told you to do. Continue to work. I think for many of us, when you get discouraged, it's hard to be faithful because you get focused on yourself. So he needed the prof these people needed the proper encouragement to be able to what? Finish the work. Fulfill the calling that I've given you. What are some of the things that God has called you to do? That he's asking you to finish and finish well. What are some of the things that he spoke to you about maybe many years back that some of us have forgotten? And he's trying to give you the proper encouragement to step out in faith. Trust in me. I, I was thinking about this and I'm like, I, I know God spoke to us about the vision, about the circle. I mean, there's no way that that could have come from human idea. That was from God. I really believe that. And I don't think there's coincidences. Looking at an in-flight magazine and then finding out from this Washington Post article uh, that there's 53% of people in this world. All the, to me, that's, that's something that God gave to us. And I take that seriously. That's why we even talked about and we have two more years of the bold vision. And that's something that we've been talking about, this bold vision. And just if you remember, we're, we're trying to what? The four components that we're trying to do. We're trying to build a school of ministry we talked about. And then we're trying to open up one site locally and globally. We're also trying to launch uh, just at least one life group in every single campus because we feel like this is the future of this generation that we need to reach the future business people, the future educators, the future health professionals, and wherever else people will, uh, God will place you, we need to reach the universities. We're not a university church alone, but we have a strong emphasis on it because we believe in the next generation. We believe in the future. It's amazing. Some of you, you have met Christ in college. Some of you came into Hong Kong thinking you're so self-righteous and you think you were so great in your spiritual walk, but you came to our church and as a freshman you had no idea in this relationship with Jesus Christ and God touched your heart. You go four years of college and then you just kind of forget about all your experience. That's how self-centered some of us are. That you don't have this concept of my life has been transformed. So I want to give back to that time of my life that has transformed my life. Now, of course, that doesn't mean all of you are going to be a leader and help out with some of these university ministries. Some of you are single adults. Some of you are married couples. If you believe that God has done something in your life, I should see in your life you blessing some of these college students from your campus that you served in where you were blessed, where your life was transformed. Maybe talk to some of the leaders. Hey, you know, you know I went to that campus too, and I just have a burden for it because my life was touched in the time. Is there anyone that you feel like that I could just bless them with a meal? Huh. I think the leaders will call, we're going to call 911, we're going to call the, the hospital. Some of you single adults, you don't care. Because it's all about your career. It's all about you. 
But wasn't it in college where you experienced God? Wasn't it in college where you began to realize that you're not so great, that you needed Jesus, that you understood the gospel message? How many people in college now have not experienced what you experienced? And for you to just focus on your career, to focus on your life, and you totally forget what God has done, all I'm going to say is, shame on you. In the same way, those of you who are married, you know what it felt like to be single. It sucked. You were lonely. You were looking at all, you know, every single app. You're looking, looking at the league and you realize, oh, no, that, that, that's not going to work for me. You look at other things. You know what that feels like. You know how hard it was. You're waiting, you're 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, bingo. And you're like, oh my God, my life is, I just ruined. I might as well run a marathon, I don't know. <laughs> or do this, or do that. But God in his grace brought someone along. And at 31, 32, I don't, I don't know, just. And God blessed you. Now, you know, you might possibly be increasing your family. Why wouldn't you want to reach out to some of these single adults who are struggling to really believe that God is really good? If we lose the vision to reach the next generation, our church will die eventually. We're just going to have old people and we'll die out. We're going to close shop. That's why we've got to always make room for younger guys. That's why we've got to keep on reaching out to the generation behind us. Always. So if we're going to try to reach all these universities, we need people who are ministering or getting ministered unto that will want to minister back into that campus. And then we also talked about discipling 1,000 people through the Alive curriculum. If your life has been transformed and you have been now alive in Christ, then that should cause you to say, I want to take this and share this with as many people as possible. My LCG, with other people, my co-workers, colleagues who are at work who might be Christians and who are not growing. Every single person that I can try to talk to because it helped me. And that's why when I look at some of these things that we're trying to do, I'm like, God, how are we going to do this? I'm telling you honestly, it's so easy to get discouraged. But God is like constantly reminding me, I'm with you. Be strong. Fear not. I love verse 5, because God referenced to the covenant, which reminds us of God's strong commitment to his chosen people. Did you see that in verse 5, that word covenant? That's why God says, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. Listen to the message translation of verse 5. It says this, I'm living and breathing among you right now. Don't be timid. Don't hold back. For us, we have the same kind of commitment, this covenant commitment from God because he gave us Jesus Christ. 
That's why we don't have to fear. That's why we can have a future mindset as we have this proper expectation and as God gives us the proper encouragement, we can move forward. We can do it. How about us this morning? Are you discouraged because you're not able to finish something or maybe even able to start something that God spoke to you about? Maybe some of the convictions that he's been kind of speaking to you about for so many years that you've just kind of brushed it aside. Have you forgotten God's words of encouragement to you? These are his promises. I'm wondering if you're just stuck in the past and so you're not able to move on. Maybe your past mistakes or past perceptions that people have of you and you feel so stuck. And I want to tell you right now, God says to you that his spirit remains strong in our midst. That's why he's with us and that we do not need to fear and we need to step out in faith. Let me take a, sh uh, a break here and have you guys break up into huddle groups really quickly. Another six minutes and then I'm going to close out with the last point. I want us to think about this as we just talked about this future mindset. And the questions are simply this. First of all, what steps or what stops you from fully trusting in God and having expectations that God will do great things in your life? Just be honest and share some of those different struggles that you might have when it really comes to God calling you to do things, but maybe something hinders you. Second one is this. How does God's promises of I am with you and my spirit remains in your midst or even fear not encourage you to move forward? So will you quickly share? We're going to six minutes and then we'll bring you back. Welcome back. Hopefully you had a good opportunity to share. I want to just close out quickly here with the second point. We've been talking about how God is going to lead us uh, as we look forward into the future and because of that we have to trust in him that this is the adventure that he has planned for us the second point as we talked about this future mindset the second thing is it has to be a faith-filled mindset that it has to be a faith-filled mindset you could think about the future but unless you have a faith-filled mindset you're not going to be able to move forward into that future can I just encourage some of us when you think about your spiritual life I think many of us are just comfortable with where we are. But I want you to look at it from a different angle. When was the last time you actually saw a miracle in your life? When was the last time you actually saw some incredible prayers being answered? When was the last time you actually brought someone into a relationship with Jesus Christ? When was the last time you actually prayed for somebody and they were set free from the different things in their lives? When was the last time you trusted God for something, stepped out believing he is true to his word, and you saw him answer? Like all these things are praiseworthy, things that you could share with other people. It becomes a testimony and part of your life story. But the reason why many of you, and myself included at times, is that we don't have those stories because we do not have faith in the, our mindset to then believe and then obey. When I think about my life, I, it's, been, it's been an adventure. It's been crazy. And there have been so many answers, answered prayers, so many experiences that I was able to uh, experience and different countries that I've been able to visit, different places I've been able to minister to. I've seen answered prayers. I have seen God do miracles before my eyes. A lot of it was because I stepped out in faith. And I thought about this and I realized, man, we could have missed out a lot of the stuff that we experienced. When I even think about our family uprooting and for one year moving to Indonesia, that was such a formative experience for us 
That even gave us the idea of openness to start a church in Asia somewhere in the future. It's just God's timing was not our timing. He just did it faster. Starting the church here, get our kids, some of the experiences they were able to go through. Meeting different people from different nations. Just so many different things. I realized because we stepped out in faith. Some of you cannot say that. In fact, your life is so predictable that even the stalker knows you and what you're going to do. It's too predictable. You know exactly what you're going to do. That's why your Christian life isn't full of excitement. It just seems like something you just do on the weekends, something that you do on Tuesday or something you do on Wednesday. Because we don't step out in faith and we don't have this faith-filled mindset. I thought it was interesting because when you look at the story again in that kind of context of future mindset and a faith-filled mindset, you will notice that God does not want us to live the kind of life that I just described, which is mundane, where nothing's happening, and we miss out on opportunity. That's not God's heart. And that's why I've shared it many times, but your Christian life should be scary, exciting. You should be willing to get up in the morning and say, wow, what does God have for me for today? Who are some of the people that God's going to place in my life? that I, I, I couldn't even think about or orchestrate in my own way. Who are the co-workers that we're going to have a conversation that's going to lead to something that's deeper? Like that kind of faith-filled mindset that you believe and expect that God is going to do something. And the reason is for many of us, we're just too set on the past and what is comfortable and what we know. Do you remember Jesus when he was asked, why are your disciples not fasting? They're drinking and eating when they should be. And Jesus says there will come a time when the bridegroom is, not, the bridegroom is no longer there and that's when they're going to be fasting and praying. Do you remember that parable? And then he uses a metaphor that I thought was very important. I want to read it to you in Luke chapter 5, verse 37 through 39. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the new wine uh, would burst the wineskin, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But if no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine, the old is just fine, they say. What he's saying is that when something is new, a lot of times we want to put it in something that's old, and it doesn't work. And then we say, oh, you know what? This is too risky. This is too hard. So I'm okay with the old one. No, you're not. Because you never experienced a new one. Some of you love McDonald's. And you, thought, you think it's the best hamburger in the whole wide world. We're, we're going to pray for you to set you free. There are hamburgers that people make on their own. And there are other hamburgers places around here that are so much better. But we don't know. So we just love McDonald's. If you knew, mm. so what is the point here as we close out in this section? Even though we don't know all the answers, the question is, are you willing to trust God? Because you're saying, Jesus, wherever you are, I want to be there. Whatever you're doing, I want to be a part of that. So when we talk about this faithful mindset, we have to remember, first of all, trusting in God's prom, uh, purposes. You've got to trust in God's purposes. Look at verse 6 through 8. I'm going to read this quickly here. It says this. 6 through 8. 
It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the seas and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. What is happening? You will see right away that God's impeccable timing comes through again. Listen to that phrase, yet once more, in a little while, it reminds us that God's timing is perfect and God's timing is not your timing or my timing. How do we know this? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says in the New American Standard uh, Bible, it says this, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Some of you are thinking, wow, it's a thousand years since I'm going to get married. Wow, it's a thousand years since I'm going to be able to experience all this. But in, in, a, in a day, God could bring it forth. In a day. But some of you are like, oh, I don't think so. That's your faithless mindset. But when you're filled with faith, and that's your mindset, that this is what God says in his word, I'm going to trust in him for his timing, then you can believe some of the impossible. You can believe for it. Another thing that we see in verses 6 and 7, we see God's incredible transformation. He uses the word of shaking. It's often in reference to God's judgment as it represents the supernatural intervention. It seems as if God is going to use everything and anything to accomplish His purposes. Even the wealth and the treasures of all the nations are going to be brought in and be used to build the house of the Lord. Because it's for His purpose and it's for His glory. How awesome is that? That God's inexhaustible resources will be brought into the house of the Lord so that His purposes and His glories will go forth. Man, I, I'm claiming that promise. I'm like, Lord Jesus, bring that financial you know, billionaire to our church. You know? Now, it's not all about the money. You understand that. Because some of you have connections. Some of you are just have talents or certain skills. And that's why God is going to be bringing people our way. I'm believing in this. Because the vision that God has for us, we cannot do this on our own. We need faith to believe. And that's why God is going to bring these human resources, right? People. I've been so amazed. Sometimes I'm like, oh my God, that person is leaving. Or, oh no, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden, just someone rises up from nowhere. I'm like, huh? And I don't even know them. I don't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, they start leading and start doing things. And I'm like, amazing. Then my mouth is, you know that emoji with that zipper? That's me. Ball-headed emoji. That's me. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, God, if this is your purpose, this is what you want us to do, we have faith. And as we have faith, you're going to bring all these things into the house of the Lord so that your, your purposes can be accomplished. It's interesting that the writer of the book of Hebrews references this passage with this con con a concept of shaking. I'm going to read this really quick. This was very fascinating. As I was doing my research on this, I'm like, wow, this is what the writer of Hebrews was trying to say. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 to 29. Listen to what it says here. It says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they do not escape when they refuse him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And I want you to read the yellow section with me. It says this, this phrase, yet once more, which we saw in the book of Haggai, indicates the what? Removal of things that are shaken, that is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken will, may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving what? Come on, say this. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I said, wow, how awesome is that? Here is God saying that I do the shaking, so all those things that are, will not remain and should not remain, it's going to go. And those things that and shake, that's things that stay and remain, that's the purposes of God. I was thinking about what happened and what's happening with the whole COVID-19. There's been some shaking going on in many churches around the world. And there are some churches that are struggling because they were kind of focused on different things. But I was thinking, God, you are so faithful. Because even back in 1996, we had this vision of a church not just attracting a lot of people and just at a Sunday celebration. You've heard us say this time and time again. Church does not happen on Sundays. It happens on Tuesdays or Wednesdays or whenever we meet. And that's why we always emphasize the importance of small group. That's church, these micro churches. So for 20, almost 25 years, we've been emphasizing this. Even when we started the church here in Hong Kong, we emphasized the importance of life group. And who knew that in a, in a situation with this pandemic like this, that a church that is structured around small groups or life groups are the ones who are going to flourish and grow. I'm so thankful for that because now we've been reaching out to people that we might not have been able to reach out to. God is doing something and he's doing this shaking so that those things that are in his purposes will remain and those that are not will dissipate. That's why we've got to trust in God's purposes purposes another thing is trusting in god's promises and i'm going to close with verse 9 listen listen to what he says the latter glory this is so good listen the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the lord of hosts and in this place i will give peace declares the lord of hosts How, why is this powerful do you remember earlier when i said all these old people are like oh my god this sucks this is not great i remember the older you know the old temple it was so much better. And all these younger people were so discouraged. But God says, I'm with you. Be strong. Fear not. And then this promise that says the latter glory. So we're talking about the right now, the future. The new generation. It's going to be greater than what? The former. I don't know if there, there were some old people there. They're probably thinking, huh? Because that was so great. Are you saying it's going to be even greater? And these young people probably thinking, we've never been in that older, latter glory or earlier glory, but the latter one's going to be even greater. What a great reminder of his promise to us. That's why whether it's your campus, whether it's your workplace, or even in our church, our life stage ministries that we have, 
We've been at this for the last almost five and a half years. God is saying that the latter years, the years to come, is going to be greater. And he says, I will place my peace. The peace of God will come. The shalom will come. The wholeness. I'm just wondering for us as we think through this passage. Are you trusting in God's promises or even in his prom uh, purposes? Do you believe that God can do the impossible? He's the one who's doing the shaking so that we can be unshakable. I'm wondering if you're trusting God's timing and this transformative work that he wants to do in us first and then in our campus, in our workplace, and in the city and around the world, especially in this circle. As I was thinking about this, I realized, you know, this is, this is simply the gospel. Because when you look at from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, they weren't thinking about the future. They sinned against God because they were just thinking about the here and now. But God was thinking about the future. As they sinned, there was consequences that came through that. And they were separated from God. And the whole time, God had the future in mind. He had you in mind. That one day you will be born. And there was no way for you to then connect with God except through Jesus Christ. That's why with the future in mind, He sent His Son, one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. And He died the death that should have been our death. So that He could restore and to redeem this relationship back with God. And that's why we can now, ourselves, we can live with that future in mind. And we're going to spend the rest of eternity with Him. I don't know if you made that decision to follow Christ, but I want to encourage you to take that step of faith. And those of you who have made the decision to follow Christ, and you've been a Christian for X amount of years, I do want to encourage you, if your life is not scary, exciting, then that life you're living right now is not the life that God has for you. He wants you to experience this adventure that is far beyond what you can even imagine. Because that's what a life of faith is all about, is trusting and believing and knowing that no matter what you're called to do, that God is going to be on your side. He's going to be on our side. That's why, once again, the one thing is that God will lead us into our future as we trust Him in this adventure. I'm going to just give us couple things to think about as we head into this coming week and as we're going to do life group the three things I want you guys to think about is this first of all is pause each morning to just acknowledge him just make it a practice every time you wake up in the morning or if some of you guys are like oh, I hate the morning then as you brush your teeth at least <laughs> or when you're in the shower just acknowledge him God thank you for one more day I don't know about tomorrow but thank you for today so just pause and just acknowledge Him because when you do that, it's going to start building up faith. God is with me. God has something planned for me today. So do that in your shower, in, in, in brushing your teeth. Just acknowledge Him. The second thing is this, is to pray for God-sized purposes to be fulfilled. Man, we always love playing safe and things that are really small. And God is like, do you know how big I am? If God is infinite, then some of the prayers that we should be lifting up should be huge. We should be praying for salvation. You should start praying for Easter 
and believing that God is going to bring people to Christ. Some of you are like, I don't want to ask because my friend is not going to come. How do you know that? That's your scarcity mindset. It's not filled with faith. It's not the future in mind. And then you ask them and they go, yeah, I'll come. They're like, oh my God, I'm such a praise God. And I'm like, okay, praise, praise God. Because your lack of faith and now God eclipsed that. What I'm praising God is, is like, I believe he's going to do it. I'm like, are you sure? I believe it. And then you ask and they do it. I'm like, whoa, whoa, praise God. That's a problem with us. Unbelief, doubt. And God has to gently remind us, well, why do you doubt? Will you, this coming week, maybe on some kind of morning, Monday blessing, I don't know, just, just to be able to just lift up some incredible prayers that are God-sized purposes to say, God, do some incredible things. And the last thing is this, to participate in God's present and future work. To participate in God's present and future work. Because part of living out our lives is to be able to do the things that God has called us to do. Some of you are like, what, do I, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. Start with life group. Be faithful. Go week after week. Even though sometimes you're tired, go. And to give. Give your, your experiences. Share your life. Open up. Be vulnerable. Start there. And then maybe you were like, you know what? I've, I've been so blessed. I, I want to start reaching out. Maybe start thinking about who are some next generation people that you already have a connection with that you just want to bless. If you don't have the time, then talk to the leader. Say, hey, I, I, I want to just donate some stuff. Can you just buy refreshment for your whole, whole life group? I told you once again, get ready to call the ambulance because your life group leader might die, okay? So to say, I, I just want you to bless your whole life group which is some snacks or whatever. There's so many, there are no excuses. So many things that we can do to participate in the present and also in the future. What are the, some of the future stuff? We're gonna talk about it more in the, in the future, but we're talking about things like maybe opening up another site. We're talking about maybe opening up in another city somewhere. We're talking about doing other missions, projects that God is opening up for us, connecting with other ministries and things that right now we don't have all the details but we're saying God we're surrendered and we're submitted to you and whatever you have for us we want to do do you have this kind of faith-filled mindset and this future mindset because if you do then I believe with all my heart that you're going to be able to trust in him for the future as he leads you into this great adventure if you would just stand where you are, I know you've been sitting for a while. We want to close with this song. And some of you know this song. We've been singing it just more recently. And the reason why this song has a lot of significance for me is because I first came across this song when we were in the middle of just trying to think about some future stuff. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. I kept on saying that. I had this lack of faith didn't really understand everything God was doing. I'm just like, there's no way. I mean, I'm just looking at numbers. I'm looking at just other, I'm like, there's no way. Because we're looking at a place for us to have our permanent home. And I was looking at how much it costs for rent, where it was located. I'm like, wow, this is too good to be true. But then once I figured everything, I'm like, there's no way. And then as I was on the bus going to my next meeting, 
I had my headphones on and I listened to the song and I almost wept because God was reminding me once again it is not about you it's about my purpose my promises and what I'm gonna do in you and through you and through HMCC of Hong Kong and when I heard this song my heart just exploded and I said God I believe I believe it helped me to overcome my unbelief and I'm praying that as we sing this song something will stir in us that we will be more future-minded and faith-filled minded so that just like the people of Israel as God told them to rebuild that we're looking into the, the latter glory God's gonna do some incredible things in the future and we want to obey and follow him can you sing this song as a prayer as we close out here and then I'm going to pray a prayer blessing over you and over us after we sing this song. Let's sing it together. I pray that that will be our prayer and believing by faith. Can I just pray for you as we close out here? Heavenly Father, I pray that those words that we just sung, that we will believe it with all our hearts. There are so many things that need to be broken. So many things, Lord, that needs to be changed. So many things that you have to do that we cannot do in our human strength. So we're believing that you will do that in our lives. Father, do that in our church so we could be a church that is a city on the hill that we will shine brightly for your namesake. I pray that as we experience transformation, that we will transform the world and help us to start in our homes and in our apartments and with our roommates, in our classes and even in our workplaces and places around that we might not even visit but you will give us an opportunity father we're praying for future things as well as we have this future mindset and this faith-filled mindset that you will use us lord thank you that this christian life is not a dull life it's an adventure every single day and help us to experience that scary exciting life that you have promised unto us as we fully trust in you fully believe in all that you will do so we love you we thank you bless this coming week as we apply some of these things into our lives. We love you. We thank you. And we pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. We're so glad that you joined us today. And hope to see you next week. And come out to Life Group this coming week. So God bless you. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.